This is a recording of God Hath Taken Away His Plainness, some notes on Jacob 4.14, Revelation, Canon, Covenant, and Law, by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, read by Victor Worth. Abstract. This article examines Jacob's statement, God hath taken away his plainness from the Jews, Jacob 4.14, as one of several scriptural texts employing language that revolves around the Deuteronomic canon formulae, Deuteronomy 4.2.12.32.13.1, CF Revelation 22.18-19. It further examines the textual dependency of Jacob 4.13-14 on Nephi's earlier writings, 1 Nephi 13 and 2 Nephi 25 in particular. The three texts in the Hebrew Bible that use the verb Bet Aleph Resh, Deuteronomy 1 5, 27 8, Habakkuk 2 2, each having covenant and law implications, all shed light on what Nephi and Jacob may have meant when they described plain writing, plain and precious things or words, words of plainness, etc. Jacob's use of Zenus' allegory of the olive tree as a means of describing the Lord's restoring or re-adding what had been taken away, including his use of Isaiah 11.11, Jacob 6.2, as a hermeneutical lens for the entire allegory, further connects everything from Jacob 4.14, God hath taken away, to Jacob 6.2, with the name Joseph. Genesis etiologizes the name Joseph in terms of divine taking away, asap, and adding, yosep. Genesis 30, 23-24, CF Numbers 36, 1-5. God's taking away his plainness involved both divine and human agency, but the restoration of his plainness required divine agency. For Latter-day Saints, it is significant the Lord accomplished this through a Joseph. The biblical double etiology for the patriarch Joseph's name roots it in divine action. The etiology characterizes that divine action in terms of two antonymous verbs, quote, And she, Rachel, conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away, Asap, my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, Yosep, and said, The Lord shall add, Yosep, to me another son. Genesis 30, 23-24. In other words, the Genesis text depicts Rachel naming her elder son, Joseph, may he, God, add, on the basis that, quote, God had taken away, or withdrawn, gathered up, the shame or stigma of her erstwhile childlessness through Joseph's birth, and her expressed wish that the Lord would add her another son in the future. May the Lord add to me another son. The latter explanation hints at the birth of Benjamin, Benjamin, son of the right hand, as the future son, Ben. Another later Pentateuchal text echoes the double etiology of Genesis 30, 23-24, with direct wordplay on the name Joseph in terms of the antonymy of adding and taking away. Numbers 36 details a revelation given to Moses, which intends to alleviate concerns about tribal inheritances being, quote, impaired by the permission given to the daughters of Zelophehad to inherit from their father, close quote, as detailed in Numbers 27. In other words, 
the heads of the tribe of Joseph worried that their inheritances would be taken away and added to the inheritances of other tribes. Quote, and the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, Yosep, came near and spake before Moses and before the princes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, unto his daughters. And if they be married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then shall their inheritance be taken away from, Yegeriah, the inheritance of our fathers, and shall be put to, shall be added to, Wenosab, the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall it be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel shall be, then shall their inheritance be put unto, be added to, Wenosepha, the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall their inheritance be taken away, Yigarah, from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. And Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph, Yosep, hath said well. Numbers 36, 1-5 through 5. The revelation that follows in Numbers 36, 6-13 aimed to preserve the overall territorial status quo among the tribes in the Promised Land. Regarding the wordplay on Joseph in Numbers 36, 1-5, Moshe Garciel observes, quote, The twice-used root YSP here explicates the name of Joseph, which appears both before and after the passage in verses 1 and 5, close quote. The twofold mention of Joseph's name thus frames the wordplay in a small inclusio. The verb garah, which is synonymous with Hebrew asap, in the senses of take away or withdraw, emphasizes the ideological connection between the name Joseph and adding and taking away, here in terms of antonyms yasap and garah, as previously established in Genesis 30, 23-24, in terms of antonyms yasap and asap. The wordplay on Joseph here involving yasap and garah in its totality emphasizes the threat of Joseph's tribal inheritance being taken away from his descendants and added to those of the other tribes. The stark antonomy of, quote, adding and, quote, taking away, reflected in the double etiology for Joseph and in the instructions regarding tribal inheritances, is mirrored again later in the so-called Deuteronomic canon formulae, i.e. passages intended to maintain the textual status quo of the book of Deuteronomy and its divine instruction, quote, Ye shall not add, lo tosipu, unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish, wello tigreu, aught from it. Deuteronomy 4.2 Quote, What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add, lo tosep, thereto, nor diminish, wello tigra, from it. Deuteronomy 12.32 Masoretic Text 13.1 The canon formula of Revelation 22.18-19 and the language of its anticipated misapplication, see 2 Nephi 29.1-10, also echo this antonomy. 
I have argued elsewhere that Nephi's prophecy in 2 Nephi 28 quotes Isaiah 28:10 and 13. For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. 2 Nephi 28:30. In order to interpret revelation as divine adding. Nephi's prophecy then declares, quote, And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth I will give more, I will add. And them that shall say we have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. 2 Nephi 28.30, cf. also Matthew 13.12, Mark 4.25, Alma 12.9-11. This passage should be understood as reflecting the antonomy of divine taking away and adding of the Joseph etiology in Genesis 30, 23-24, and, in an ironic way, against the background of the Deuteronomic canon formula, especially Deuteronomy 4.2, Masoretic Text 13.1. Nephi's oracle in 2 Nephi 29, 1-10, which begins with a Gezer Shawah, on Isaiah 29:14 and 11:11, in terms of Yosip, Yosip, reflects a similar relationship. Cf. also 2 Nephi 25 verses 17 and 21 with the foregoing passages. I have additionally argued that the Lord's statement to Moses as part of the vision preserved in Moses 1 should be understood as employing the language of these so-called canon formulae. Quote, And in a day when the children of men shall esteem my words as naught, and take many of them from the book which thou shalt write, behold, I will raise up another like unto thee, and they shall be had again among the children of men, among as many as shall believe. Moses 1.41 thus constitutes a prophecy of the raising up of one like unto Moses, named Joseph. C.F. Deuteronomy 18.15-22, 2 Nephi 3.6-16, through whom the Lord's words, quote, shall be had again, or re-added. The evident thematic relationship between 2 Nephi 28.27-30, and Moses 1.41, and the canon formulae in Deuteronomy 4.2.12.32, Masoretic Text 13.1, viewed against the backdrop of the Joseph etiologies, Genesis 30, 23-24, raises the question, how do other prophetic passages that describe the adding to and taking away from divine teaching and the repository of divine teaching in canonical scripture relate to these same biblical texts? One such prophetic text is 1 Nephi 13, with its emphatic predictions that a Gentile, great and abominable church, would take away many plain and precious things and covenants. See especially 1 Nephi 13.26-40. Another related prophetic text is Jacob's prologue to his quotation of Zenos' allegory of the olive tree. Quote, but behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness, and killed the prophets, and sought for things, words, that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things, words, which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, 
God hath done it that they may stumble. Jacob 4.14 In this short article, I explore the meaning of Jacob's interconnected phrases, they despise the words of plainness, and God hath taken away his plainness from them, in Jacob 4.14, and their textual dependency on Nephi's descriptions of the plainness of divine words and writing in 1 Nephi 13, 26-35 and 40, 16, 2 Nephi 25, 4-7 and verses 20 and 28 and elsewhere. Jacob's assertion that, quote, God hath taken away his plainness should be understood as language that harks back and revolves around the language of the Deuteronomic canon formulae, Deuteronomy 4, 2, 12, 32, Masoretic text 13, 1. Though the agents appear to differ in each case, the taking away of God's plainness among the Jews invites comparison with the Gentiles' taking away of plain and precious things in 1 Nephi 13, 26-29 and 40, inasmuch as both result in the stumbling of many. C.F. Malachi 2.8 Both situations require divine action, the divine re-adding or restoration of divine words in their plainness, scriptures, and covenants, in order to take away stumbling blocks. 1 Nephi 14.1, C.F. Jacob 4.14-15, and to enable both Jew and Gentile to build upon the sure foundation. Jacob 4.17, C.F. the title page of the Book of Mormon. Stiff-Necked Peoples Jacob's prologue to Zenos' allegory, Jacob 4.14, begins with the statement, quote, but behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people. This description of ancient Judahites needs to be considered first in light of the biblical statements that describe ancient Israelites as a stiff-necked people. See, e.g., Exodus 32.9, 33.3 and 5, 34.9, and Deuteronomy 9.6 and 13. Second, it should also be viewed against the backdrop of Nephi's earlier description of his own people as a stiff-necked people, a text from which Jacob borrows heavily in Jacob 4. Quote, and now behold, my people, ye are a stiff-necked people. Wherefore I have spoken plainly unto you, that ye cannot misunderstand. And the words which I have spoken shall stand as a testimony against you, for they are sufficient to teach any man the right way. For the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. For by denying him, ye also deny the prophets and the law. 2 Nephi 25.28 In addressing his own people, Nephi appears to quote Exodus 33.5, For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. Atem am keshech orep. C.F. the similarly worded description, Thou art a stiff-necked people. Exodus 33.3, Deuteronomy 9.6. Jacob's son, Enos, would describe the Nephites of his time in polyplatonic fashion as, quote, a stiff-necked people, am kashech oreb. Hard, kashech, to understand, Enos 1.22. It is significant that Jacob specifically correlates ancient Judahite stiff-neckedness with their failure to understand divine truth, as embodied in Jesus Christ. Quote, they sought for things which they could not understand. Close quote. Quote, Many things which they cannot understand. Close quote. Nephi, Jacob, and their successors recognized that such obduracy made understanding impossible. The words of plainness. 
Jacob next mentions that ancient Judah Israel quote, despised the words of plainness and killed the prophets and sought for things, words, that they could not understand. Jacob 4.14 For Jacob, these things constituted symptoms of general spiritual blindness. This spiritual blindness had devastating consequences not only to the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of Judah in 586 BC, but also in the first century CE. Quote, Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. Jacob 4.14 It should be noted that not all of Jesus' Jewish contemporaries were, in Jacob's words, looking beyond the mark. All of Jesus' first followers, including all of the apostles, were Jewish. All of the earliest Christians, to use that term somewhat anachronistically, were Jews. In fact, the earliest church members saw themselves within Judaism, not outside or apart from it. Nevertheless, as Jacob states elsewhere, quote, because of priestcrafts, cf. the Sadducees and many chief priests, and iniquities they at Jerusalem will stiffen their necks against him, that he be crucified. 2 Nephi 10.5 Jesus himself wept over Jerusalem, and he lamented, quote, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not, or you are not willing. Matthew 23.37, Luke 13.34 What was plain to some was not plain to all. At this point it becomes necessary to identify as nearly as possible what Jacob meant by the words of plainness that God's covenant people despised. To help get a fuller sense of what Nephi and Jacob may have meant, writing in the 6th century BCE by plain writings, plain and precious things or words, and words of plainness, at least three passages from the Hebrew Bible offer some insight. First, Deuteronomy 1.5 reports the following regarding the body of instruction that Moses gave to Israel just before their entry into the Promised Land. Quote, On this side Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare, explain, make plain, this law, saying. Close quote. The key term in this verse is the verb bet aleph resh, which here means to explain, to elucidate a law. Robert Alter suggests that the use of Beit Aleph Resh in Deuteronomy 1.5 quote, provides a central rationale for the whole book of Deuteronomy close quote, as a repetition of previously enunciated divine law. The book of Deuteronomy on some level makes plain the Lord's instruction or law through Moses. The second relevant text occurs toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy after most of the instruction or legislation. There the verb Bet Aleph Resh occurs for the second and only other time in the entire corpus of the Pentateuch, as Deuteronomy further records the Lord's commandment given to Moses regarding this law. Quote, and thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly, Ba'er Hetzeb. Deuteronomy 27.8 In the context of writing, including the writing of Scripture, Beit Alafresh takes on the meaning to write down clearly. The use of Bet Alafresh at the outset of Moses' reiteration and explication of the Lord's instruction or law at or near its end creates a kind of inclusio or envelope figure demarcating the plain content. Moreover, what began as plain spoken words in Deuteronomy 1.5 becomes plainly written covenant Torah. A third passage now warrants our consideration. 
beyond its use in forming the inclusio at Deuteronomy 1.5 and 27.8, the verb bet alaf resh occurs in the entirety of the Hebrew Bible a third and final time in the written prophecies of Habakkuk, a prophet active around 612 BCE, whose writings may have been on the brass plates and thus may have influenced Lehi and Nephi. Habakkuk records, quote, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain, Ubaer, upon tablets, that he may run that readeth it. Habakkuk 2 2 KJV. Quote, Write the vision, make it plain, Ubaer, on tablets, so that a runner may read it. Habakkuk 2 2 NRSV. From Habakkuk's vision, we have one of the plainest meristic statements of what Nephi called the doctrine of Christ in Scripture. But the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4. O. Palmer Robertson recommends that, quote, rather than envisioning a placard statement so large that a person running by might read it, the context of the prophetic vision on tablets for the ages to come suggests the running of a messenger to proclaim the vision. Close quote. It is interesting to consider the image of a vision or revelation quote, made plain on tablets or plates so that a runner may read it. Close quote in the context of Latter-day Prophets and missionaries running with a plain message, originally written on metal plates or tablets in ages past for future generations. Robertson cites several examples of prophetic running from the Hebrew Bible, the running of the false prophets who are not authorized to run with a divine message, Jeremiah 23.21, the opposite of authorized running, Gehazi running for the prophet Elisha, 2 Kings 4.26, and Zechariah hearing the command of a divine messenger to run with a message, Zechariah 2.4. Moreover, regarding the Lord's instructions to Habakkuk regarding his vision, Robertson writes, quote, The context suggests an intentional allusion to the inscribing of the original ten words of the Book of the Covenant, Exodus 31.18, 32.15-16, Deuteronomy 9.10. Originally, Israel had been directed to inscribe on whitewashed stones all the words of the law and to make very plain, Ba'er Hatseb, this inscription, Deuteronomy 27.28. Habakkuk is directed to make it plain, Ba'er, on the tablets, the vision being given him. Close quote. The Hebrew term luach, plural luchot, tablets, i.e. wooden, stone, or metal tablets, can just as well mean plates. Making divine instruction plain on metal tablets or plates appears to be what Isaiah is doing after Isaiah 8.1, when he is instructed to write on becherets enosh, with a human engraving stylus, on a large gilayon, which in Isaiah 3.23 clearly constitutes something like a metal mirror, i.e. a metal plate used as a mirror, where gilionim, Making divine instructions plain on metal tables, i.e. tablets or plates, is precisely what we find Nephi, Jacob, and their successors doing. Where ancient Israel had been commanded not to add to or diminish from Yahweh's law, Deuteronomy 4.2, 12.32, Masoretic Text 13.1, the writing of Habakkuk's vision constitutes a strong example of Yahweh adding to or updating his own law. Robertson further notes, quote, Reflecting the long-established pattern of inscribing a fresh copy of covenant law as an essential step in covenant renewal, 
Habakkuk's instructions include inscribing his visions on the tablets. This insight seems particularly significant when we consider the function of Nephi's small plates as both a political and religious document. Doctrine and Covenants 8457 designates the entire Book of Mormon, including the small plates, as, quote, the New Covenant, a phrase ultimately derived from the prophecy of Jeremiah 3131, quote, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, close quote, i.e., an added or re-added covenant. When Nephi and Jacob and their successors wrote their visions, revelations, and the doctrine of Christ, they did just what Moses and Habakkuk did. They made them plain on covenant tablets or plates. C.E.G. 2 Nephi 25.7 and below. Their plain writings would become a part of a covenant and eventually canon. God hath taken away his plainness and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand. In Jacob 4.13-14, Jacob makes an important general statement regarding prophecy the function of the Holy Ghost, and the type of revelation that they were to record or make plain on plates. He then segs into commentary on how plainness can be retracted through divine agency. Moreover, Jacob appears to refer to his father Lehi's rejection as a prophet at Jerusalem, including the attempts on Lehi's life, and the heavenly book that Lehi read, which manifested plainly of Jesus Christ. Jacob. Behold, my brethren, he that prophesieth, let him prophesy to the understanding of men. For the Spirit speaketh the truth, and lieth not. Wherefore it speaketh of things as they really are, and of things as they really will be. Wherefore these things are manifested unto us plainly, for the salvation of our souls. But behold, we are not witnesses alone in these things. For God also spake unto prophets of old. But behold, the Jews, ancient Judahites, were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness and killed the prophets, and sought for things, words, that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things, words, which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. Jacob 4.14 Nephi. And it came to pass that the Jews did mock him because of the things, words, which he testified of them, for he truly testified of their wickedness and their abominations. And he testified that the things which he saw and heard, and also the things, words, which he read in the book, manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah, and also the redemption of the world. And when the Jews, ancient Judahites, heard these things, words, they were angry with him. Yea, even as with the prophets of old, whom they had cast out and stoned and slain. And they also sought his life, that they might take it away. But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord is over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith, to make them mighty, even under the power of deliverance. 1 Nephi 1, 19-20 What then did Jacob mean by the statement, God hath taken away his plainness from them, the ancient Judahites, and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand, in Jacob 4.14. Evidence from the text of Jacob 14.13-18 suggests that he refers to at least three things. 1. The complexity of ancient Israelite prophetic writings in general, and those of Isaiah in particular, without the key of knowledge. 
2. The enigmatic nature of the law of Moses and its types, shadows, and rituals. And 3. The withdrawal of the Holy Ghost. Jacob's prologue to Zenos allegory in Jacob 4, 13-18 contains specific lexical links to the prophecies of Isaiah. For example, the stone, Eben, mentioned in Jacob 4, 15-16, alludes directly to Yahweh as the stone of stumbling, Ule Eben Negep, and for a rock of offense, and for a rock of stumbling, Ule Shur Mikshol, to both houses of Israel, in Isaiah 8.14, and the foundation stone in Isaiah 28.16, see also Psalm 118. The phrases, they must needs fall, that they may stumble, Jacob 4.14, the stumbling of the Jews, 4.15, and stumble because of my anxiety for you, Jacob 4.18, all refer to Isaiah 8.15, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. And Isaiah 28.13, But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall and stumble with kashalu, backward, and be broken and snared and taken. Jacob's use of safe foundation, Jacob 4.15, and sure foundation, 4.16-17, two times, allude to and quote the collocations Sure Foundation, Musad Musad, from Isaiah 28.16. That Jacob has Isaiah's words in mind in Jacob 4.14 finds confirmatory evidence in the fact that in Jacob 4.13-14 he also employs the prophetic language of his brother Nephi, writing about the words of Isaiah and their plainness. Jacob, Behold my brethren, He that prophesieth, let him prophesy to the understanding of men, for the Spirit speaketh the truth, and lieth not. Wherefore it speaketh of things, words, as they really are, and of things, words, as they really will be. Wherefore these things are manifested unto us plainly for the salvation, Yeshuat, of our souls. But behold, we are not witnesses alone in these things, for God also spake them unto prophets of old. But behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness, and killed the prophets, and sought for things, words, that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things, words, which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. Jacob 4.14 Nephi, wherefore hearken, O my people, which are of the house of Israel, and give ear unto my words. For because that the words of Isaiah, Yeshayahu, are not plain unto you, nevertheless they are plain unto all that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. But I give unto you a prophecy according to the spirit which is in me. Wherefore I shall prophesy according to the plainness which hath been with me from the time that I came out from Jerusalem with my father. For behold, my soul delighteth in plainness unto my people, that they may learn. Yea, and my soul delighteth in the words of Isaiah. For I came out from Jerusalem, and mine eyes hath beheld the things, words, of the Jews. And I know that the Jews do understand the things, words, of the prophets. And there is none other people that understand the things, words, which were spoken unto the Jews like unto them, save it be that they are taught after the manner of the things, words, of the Jews. 
But behold, I Nephi have not taught my children after the manner of the Jews. But behold, I of myself have dwelt at Jerusalem. Therefore I know concerning the regions round about. And I have made mention unto my children concerning the judgments of God, which hath come to pass among the Jews, unto my children, according to all which Isaiah hath spoken. And I do not write them. But behold, I proceed with mine own prophecy according to my plainness, in the which I know that no man can err. Nevertheless, in the days that the prophecies of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, men shall know of a surety at the times when they shall come to pass. Second Nephi 25, 4-7 Terms translated spirit, plainly, plain, plainness, prophesy, prophesieth, prophets, prophecy, prophecies, understand, understanding, hath spoken, speaketh, words or things, Jews, God, and people, establish clear, firm lexical links between Nephi's adumbration of his hermeneutical keys to Isaiah in 2 Nephi 25, 1-7, and Jacob's statement on plainness in Jacob 4, 13-14. Moreover, one can perhaps detect Jacob using an elusive wordplay on the names Isaiah, Yeshayahu, Yahweh is salvation, and Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, in the expression, For the salvation, Yeshuat, Lishuat, of our souls, Jacob 4.13. In 2 Nephi 25 and Jacob 4.13-14, Nephi and Jacob both emphasize the importance of the Holy Ghost as the key to understanding prophecy, including the written prophecies of the prophets of old, Jacob 4.13. Those writings clearly included what Nephi designates as the words of Isaiah, or prophecies of Isaiah. Nephi and Jacob both knew that when Isaiah had received his prophetic commission, the Lord had commanded him to make the message difficult for his hearers. And the Lord said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but they understood not, and see ye indeed, but they perceived not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted and be healed. Close quote. Second Nephi 16, 9-10, quoting Isaiah 6, 9-10. Jacob quotes Isaiah, acknowledging, quote, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season unto thee, O house of Israel, when ye were weary. Second Nephi 7, 4, quoting Isaiah 54. The message of Isaiah and the messages of all the Israelite prophets of old required the Holy Ghost, the spirit of prophecy, bearing testimony of Jesus, Revelation, to manifest them plainly or to making them plain. Jacob's statement, quote, God hath taken away his plainness from them, close quote, echoes an earlier divine statement regarding adding and taking away recorded by Nephi, quote, For unto him that receiveth I will give more, and them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Second Nephi 28.30, CF Second Nephi 29.3-10 Jacob's words also recall Nephi's repeated description of the taking away of plain and precious things, words, including divine scripture, doctrine, and covenants by the great and abominable church, as described in First Nephi 13.26-40. Jacob 4.14 exhibits a number of additional significant lexical connections to 1 Nephi 13. Shared terminology between Jacob 4.14 and 1 Nephi 13.29 abounds. Jacob. 
But behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness and killed the prophets, and sought for things, words, that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things, words, which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. Jacob 4.14 Nephi And after these plain and precious things, words, were taken away by the Gentile great and abominable church, it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles. And after it goeth forth unto the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across the many waters which thou hast seen, with the Gentiles which have gone forth out of captivity, and thou seest, because of the many plain and precious things, words, which have been taken out of the book, which were plain unto the understanding of the children of men, according to the plainness which is in the Lamb of God. And because of these things, words, which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceeding great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. 1 Nephi 13.29 Paul Hoskinson, writing on the meaning of the phrase, looking beyond the mark, in Jacob 4.14, offers the following important insight. Quote, Given that Jesus Christ is the general and specific subject of the chapter, a priori, it can be expected that Christ and the mark are one and the same. Indeed, one verse in particular in chapter 4 seems to provide a hint on how to read verse 14. Close quote. He cites Jacob 4.5 as the relevant verse. Quote, Behold, they believed in Christ and worshipped the Father in his name, and also we worship the Father in his name. And for this intent we keep the law of Moses, it pointing our souls to him. Close quote. Hoskinson sees archery imagery at work in the metaphor of the mark but relatedly the broader idea of arrows as pointers and guides to divine instruction leads us back to the Liahona. As I have proposed elsewhere, Jacob uses a wordplay on the meaning of Torah, law, or better instruction, in terms of the verb Y-R-Y, yara, instruct, teach, which appears to have had the original sense of stretching out the finger or the hand to point out a root. In other words, Jacob is playing on the idea of the law of Moses as a corpus of divine instruction that teaches by pointing. Quote, and for this intent we keep the law, Torah, of Moses, it pointing, cf. Yerah, our souls to him. Jacob 4.5, see also Alma 34.14. Here the imagery and terminology pertaining to the law of Moses and the Liahona converge. All of the foregoing helps us appreciate the significance of Nephi's description of the Liahona with its pointers as a means of delivering divine instruction, teaching, or law through writing thereon. Quote, and there was also written upon them, the pointers, a new writing, which was plain to be read, which did give us understanding concerning the ways of the Lord. And it was written and changed from time to time according to the faith and diligence which we gave unto it. And thus we see that by small means, the Lord can bring about great things. 1 Nephi 16.29 This instruction was law, instruction by pointing, and scripture, for Lehi and his family every bit as much as the law of Moses and the words of and prophecies of the prophets of old. When God took away his plainness and delivered unto them the ancient Judahites, many things, words, which they cannot understand, he retracted the guidance of the Holy Ghost, which made the writings of Isaiah and the other prophets plain. Thus, 
its absence left what would otherwise have been the words of plainness to remain hard sayings to the eyes and ears of the obdurate, especially of the builders. Psalm 118.22, CF, build, in Jacob 4.15-17, the religious leadership. Moreover, the Lord had taken away the fullness of the priesthood. Quote, I will take away the priesthood out of their midst. CF, the Hebrew idiom, hasir ex mikareb, take away ex from the midst. JST Exodus 34.1, see also DNC 84.25. The Apostle Paul, who called the law of Moses holy and its commandments good, also averred that initially, quote, the law, nomos, was added, prosetithe, because of transgressions, Galatians 3.19. JST Exodus 34.1 states that the Lord instructed Moses to, quote, hew, a second set of tablets, quote, like unto the first and promised that he, quote, would write upon them also the words of the law according as they were written at the first on the tables which thou breakest, but it shall not be according to the first, close quote. This added law would be, quote, after the law of a carnal commandment, close quote. JST Exodus 34, 2. Not only would he take away the priesthood, i.e. his holy order and the ordinances thereof, but they would lose access to his immediate presence, quote, my presence shall not go up in their midst, JST Exodus 34.1. For those ancient Israelites who hardened their hearts and did not enter into the Lord's rest, the taking away of God's plainness involved both divine subtraction and addition. The taking away of God's plainness also involved human agency. The obduracy of religious leaders before, during, and after Jesus' time created further obstacles to understanding. Jesus criticized the lawyers, Greek nomikoi, i.e. the scripture scholars, for hindering rather than helping their fellow Israelites. Luke records Jesus declaring, quote, Woe unto you lawyers, tois nomikois, for ye have taken away, Greek erate, the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Luke 11.52 The Joseph Smith translation of this verse identifies the key of knowledge. Quote, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge, the fullness of the scriptures. Ye enter not in yourselves into the kingdom, and those who were entering in ye hindered. JST Luke 11.52 Joseph Smith may have conceived of this key of knowledge as the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God, as administered by the greater priesthood, i.e. the Melchizedek priesthood, that had been taken away from their midst, JST Exodus 34.1 and DNC 84.25. To this same greater priesthood also pertained the sealing or binding power as the keys of the kingdom, which consist in the key of knowledge, DNC 128.14. Abinadi explained why the law of Moses was given to ancient Israel and why ancient Israel found the law with its vast array of performances, ordinances, and types so enigmatic. Quote, now I say unto you that it was expedient that there should be a law given to the children of Israel, yea, even a very strict law, Torah Kasha Me'od. For they were a stiff-necked people, Am Kasheh Oreb, quick to do iniquity and slow to remember the Lord their God. Therefore there was a law given them, yea, a law of performances and of ordinances, a law which they were to observe strictly from day to day to keep them in remembrance of God and their duty towards him. But behold, I say unto you, that all these things were types of things to come. And now, did they understand the law? 
I say unto you, Nay, they did not all understand the law, and this because of the hardness of their hearts. For they understood not that there could not any man be saved except it were through the redemption of God. Mosiah 13, 29 and 32. The performances, ordinances, and types of the law of Moses, Torah Moshe, reflect the method of divine teaching, cf. Hebrew Yerah, through symbolism found in visions, e.g. Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1 and 10, and the book of Revelation, and eminently in Jesus' parables. The allegory of the olive tree reflects this type of teaching as an extended parable or an extended symbolic narrative. We find another excellent example of how the Lord uses symbolism to teach in Lehi's dream, as recounted in 1 Nephi 8. Nephi writes that his father Lehi received this vision because of his, quote, faith on the Son of God, and the Son of God was the Messiah who should come, 1 Nephi 10:17. See further, 1 Nephi 11, 1-7. Nephi, for his part, then declares, quote, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in the time that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. 1 Nephi 10.17 Lehi and Nephi both saw or looked to the mark. Of him they both bore witness after they saw him. See 1 Nephi 10.4-11 and 11.7, etc. When Nephi sees, quote, the things which his father saw, close quote, he also attains to an understanding of what its symbols meant, e.g., the rod of iron equals the word of God, equals Christ, the tree of life and equals the love of God equals Christ, etc. His brothers attained to no such understanding. Upon Nephi's return from seeing his vision, his brothers were fighting about their father's dream and its symbolism, quote, and it came to pass that I beheld my brethren, and they were disputing one with another concerning the things which my father had spoken unto them. 1 Nephi 15.2 They could not see the symbolism, and thus could not see the mark. For he truly spake many great things unto them, which was hard to be understood, save a man should inquire of the Lord. And they, being hard in their hearts, therefore they did not look unto the Lord as they ought. 1 Nephi 15.3 in short order, Lehi would find the Liahona to be another type, shadow, and means of giving plain writings as instruction or law. 1 Nephi 16. It taught the family the need to look to God and live. Alma 37, 38 through 47, especially verses 46 through 47. If the etymology and meaning of Liahona, Egyptian LR2, and YHW, Yahweh, the Lord, plus I, N.W. Coptic Anau, look. See that ye look to God and live. Jacob's use of the phrases, it pointing our souls to him, and looking beyond the mark, Jacob 4.14, beyond a reference to the law of Moses, i.e. Torah, instruction by pointing, has some reference to the Liahona, and the one to whom the Liahona pointed, Jesus Christ himself. As Jesus himself said, quote, Behold, I am the law, ha-Torah, and the light. Look unto me, and endure to the end, and ye shall live. For unto him that endureth to the end will I give eternal life. 3 Nephi 15.9 Since all spiritual blindness and apostasy results, as did Nephite apostasy, in the Lord taking away his word and withdrawing his spirit, as Samuel the Lamanite put it, Helaman 13.8, both the Lord's word and his spirit 
are precisely what must, quote, be had again among the children of men, Moses 1.41, or re-added in order for the conditions of apostasy to be reversed. He shall add, to recover his people, the prophetic framing for Zena's allegory. The dual realities that, quote, God had taken away his plainness from, close quote, ancient Israel and Judah, and that the, quote, great and abominable church, close quote, among the Gentiles, had taken away many plain and precious things, including covenants, from Jewish scripture, resulted in, quote, an exceedingly great many, close quote, Gentiles stumbling, 1 Nephi 13.29, and the stumbling of the Jews, Jacob 4.14-15. Four, the collective human stumbling from all that had been taken away necessarily required divine prophetic adding. On the backside of his quotation of Zena's allegory of the olive tree, Jacob 5, Jacob uses Isaiah 11.11 11 as a closing frame and a hermeneutical lens through which to view the entire allegory, and especially the Lord of the Vineyard's saving action. Quote, and in that day he shall set his hand again, Hebrew Yosip, he shall add. The second time to recover his people, Isaiah 11.11, 11, is the day, yea, even the last time that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard. After that, the end soon cometh. Jacob 6.2 I have posited elsewhere that Isaiah's use of Yosip, Isaiah 11.11, provided Jacob the key lexical link to Zena's evident and replete use of Hebrew do-something-again idiom, Hebrew yasap or yosip. Evidence in Nephi's use of Isaiah 11.11 and Isaiah 29.14 in 2 Nephi 25.17, cf. 2 Nephi 25.21 and 29.1, and Mormon's use of Isaiah 11.11-12 in 3 Nephi 5.23-26 suggests a long-standing paranomastic association between the name Joseph and Isaiah's aforementioned prophecies of restoration in Nephi thought. As noted above, the basic meaning of the verb yasap, yosip, the key verb in Isaiah 11.11, is to add, with, quote, God having taken away his plainness, close quote, from the Jews, and the Gentiles having, quote, taken away the plain and precious things according to the plainness which is in the Lamb, close quote, from the Jewish scriptures. How appropriate that the Lord himself would undertake to add them again. And Jacob, like Nephi, may even have had implicit reference to the name Joseph, may he, God, add, when he prophesied using Isaiah 11.11 11, that the Lord would, quote, set his hand again, Yosip, or add, to recover his people, Jacob 6.2. Appropriately, the raised-up seer through whom much of the re-adding of lost plainness would be a Joseph, see 2 Nephi 3.5, JST Genesis 50.33 the one biblical Hebrew name ideologized in terms of divine adding and taking away. See again Genesis 30, 23-24. Conclusion Jacob's assertion that, quote, God hath taken away his plainness, Jacob 4.14, should be regarded as part of a family of scriptural texts, e.g. Moses 1.41, 1 Nephi 13, 2 Nephi 28, 27-30, 2 Nephi 29.1-10, with language echoing the etiology offered for the name Joseph in Genesis 30, 23-24, in terms of antonyms asap, take away, and yasap. 
This language also revolves around the prohibitions in the Deuteronomic canon formulae, Deuteronomy 4.2, 12.32, Masoretic Text 13.1, against human adding to and diminishing from that work. Three texts in the Hebrew Bible that use the verb bet aleph resh make plain, Deuteronomy 1.5 and 27.8 and Habakkuk 2.2, shed important light on the covenant and scriptural implications of what Nephi and Jacob may have meant by manifest plainly, God's plainness, plain and precious things, words of plainness, writing plain to be read, etc. The inclusio of Deuteronomy 1.5 and 27.8 marked the Deuteronomic legislation as the Lord's plain instruction. In Habakkuk 2.2, the Lord commanded Habakkuk to, quote, write his vision and, quote, make it plain upon tablets, plates, close quote. Nephi and Jacob followed a similar practice upon Nephi's small plates as they recorded the added revelation they received in plainness. Jacob's broader statement that the ancient Judahites had, quote, despised the words of plainness, close quote, and that consequently, quote, God had taken away his plainness from them, close quote, should be considered in light of Nephi's earlier statements on plain writing, plainness, and plain and precious things in 1 Nephi 13, 26-35 and 40, 16, 2 Nephi 25, 4-7 and verses 20 and 28 and elsewhere. In 1 Nephi 13 in particular, Nephi describes the taking away of plain and precious words, covenants, and doctrines from Scripture by the great and abominable church formed among the Gentiles, as a result of which, quote, an exceedingly great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. 1 Nephi 13.29 The prophet Malachi described a similar situation among the post-exilic Judean exiles and the priests who had failed in their responsibilities to teach the law of Moses. C.F. Mosiah 13. Quote, but ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi 2.8 The failure of Judah's pre- and post-exilic religious leadership in particular contributed to what Jacob described as, quote, the stumbling of the Jews, Jacob 4, 14-15, and the withdrawal of God's plainness. Thus, God's taking away his plainness involved both divine and human agency. During his own time, Jesus asserted that the lawyers had, quote, taken away the key of knowledge, the fullness of the scriptures, close quote, and thereby had hindered those whom they should have helped, JST Luke 11:53. Because of wickedness, the fullness of the scriptures, including the fullness of Moses' record, was, quote, not had among the children of men, Moses 1.21. Nevertheless, as the Lord promised, quote, in a day when the children of men shall esteem my words as naught, and take many of them from the book, which thou shalt write, behold, I will raise up another like unto thee, and they shall be had again among the children of men, among as many as shall believe, Moses 1.41. Jacob uses Zena's allegory of the olive trees to describe the reversal of God's having, quote, taken away his plainness from the Jews, Jacob 4.14. Jacob uses Isaiah's description of divine adding in Isaiah 11.11 as the hermeneutical lens through which he gives his audience a view of the Lord's acting to remedy the situation described in Jacob 4.14. Immediately following Zena's allegory, Jacob writes, quote, and in the day that he shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover his people, is the day, yea, even the last time, that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, 
and after that the end soon cometh. Jacob 6.2 In conjunction with divine adding, the bringing forth of the sealed book described in Isaiah 29.14, this is the divine re-adding of the plainness that God and humankind had taken away as described in Jacob 4.14. Matthew Alboan was raised in Orm, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an Associate Professor in Religious Education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He is also the author of Name as Key Word, Collected Essays on Onomastic Wordplay and the Temple in Mormon Scripture, Salt Lake City, Interpreter Foundation, and Eborn Books, 2018. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of God Hath Taken Away His Plainness, some notes on Jacob 4.14, Revelation, Canon, Covenant, and Law, by Matthew Bowen, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 39, 2020, read by Victor Worth. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Latter-day Saint scripture can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.